In this episode of The Different Podcast, Steve Chalk and I continue our conversation about how we can bring an end to the descending spiral of violence through the building of diverse, inclusive community wherever we are, recognising our absolute need as human beings to belong to and with others. It's built into our DNA and it's what it means to be fully human and flourishing. So it's interdependence and not independence, belonging, not separation, inclusion and not exclusion. Our prayer is that this conversation brings you hope and the belief that a different kind of world really is possible. Hello there, Steve. Hello, Jill. How are you? I've had a very boring day up until now <laughs> because I've sat in a room, I've been sat in a room uh, on my own for most of the time writing emails. You have been sat in the orange room, haven't you, all in day? In the Oasis offices in Lower Marsh in South London <laughs> and I've been writing email after email after email and it's gets very difficult i've in fact sat there from half past eight until about 20 past five (laughs) writing emails that's a boring life i did sneak in with some lunch for you you did which was a very tasty yeah brought that very tasty lebanese lebanese it was fantastic so that was great because actually i was just thinking i've got to stand up and go out and do something and And instead i bought you food which is a wonderful thing but then it meant I just had to carry on with the emails. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's good to see you. So it's been a productive day. A productive day, and all those emails are responded to. Uh, I'm sure you've done some other very vital things today. <laughs> so this next episode, I've got some questions to ask you. And uh, we've just been having a chat about this. So there is this expression. Yeah, I, yeah I'd never heard it. Know. Okay, and it is, and it sounds like a swear word, but it's not. No. It is vodka. Well, I thought v- it was a swear word <laughs> yeah, when you said yeah. it because I, I, I didn't know the deeper meaning and, and yeah. magic. Yeah, the deeper meaning and magic. So it's volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. V-U-C-A. Vodka. Yeah. <laughs> Still sounds like a swear word, doesn't it? Whichever way you put it. Whose idea was this then? It's, I don't know. You can Google it. It, it is a thing. Yeah. Honestly, it is a thing. So I it's okay. So yeah. fuck and I, <laughs> and I discovered it actually during COVID. So because a number of people were talking about it because COVID was complex, wasn't it? And suddenly we were thrown into this, whoa, like who knows what's going to happen and all the March rest of it. March 2020. Oh, yeah, I remember. Gosh. Yeah. Well, that's Gosh. one of the emails I was writing about today. <laughs> I had to write a little Thing account of COVID, yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. And as you and I are doing this podcast today, we're in another time of huge volatility, uncertainty, complexity and ambiguity, aren't we? So I thought it would be just good for us to try and make sense of some of that and try and work out how do we respond personally to some of those things. So I've got three questions and I know you've thought a lot about these things. So my first question is, is there anything to make sense of? Second question is, how do we navigate all of this? 
And then what do you do? What can we do personally to manage how we are in these mm. in these times? Oh, is there anything to make sense of? Yeah. Well, I think that even the most extraordinary behaviours all make sense when you put them in their context. Right. So in our work within Oasis, often working with a young person who's dysregulated, who kicks off, whose behaviour is triggered, whose behaviour is seen as antisocial, whose behaviour is antisocial, why do they behave like that? And the more you take it back and you begin to look at who they are and what's happened to them, what's going on in their lives, the more it makes sense of why they behave like that. All behavior is communication, mm. and it's communication of, of something else, something deeper. And where we are right now, you know, with, uh, with Palestine, with Israel, um, and these terrible, horrific headlines, you realize that there's a lot behind the thing. Yeah. From whichever perspective you come at it, if you're, you're Jewish and, you know, the fact that through history people have tried to wipe your race out of existence mm. in all sorts of ways. We think of the Holocaust, but, of course, that's a more recent event. You mm. look back into the history of the Jewish people and they've struggled for survival in so many ways. They've been through exiles, et cetera, et cetera. And then you look at the history of the Palestinian people. And ironically, the way that Israel, the Jewish people in Israel have treated them and the way that their land has shrunk, was taken from them in 1948. And then if you look at the maps, the way that their land has shrunk and shrunk and shrunk, there's all of that going on in the background, all of that trauma. Do you know the word trauma comes from an ancient Greek word and it just means wound. Wow. Deep wound. Yeah. And our deep wounds come out as seen in our behaviours, aren't they? So we experience we experience trauma on a personal level, hmm. but you can experience it as a as a people, as a people, as a as, a, as an organisation, yeah. you know, as as a project within an organisation, as a community, as a family. Uh, trauma trauma works its way out. The trauma isn't how you behave or how you view the world, or how your world's distorted, the way that you behave is an, is an outworking of that, those events or that event. That's what, yeah. that's what wounds you. But the trauma, the way your world is changed, is if you like the scar tissue, okay. which is there on and on and on. And I think that trauma, some people would say that trauma distorts your world. Trauma actually becomes the world you live in. And it's a, the way you see more, everything. Yeah, say a bit more about that. So it becomes the world that you live in. I was talking to somebody ooh, last week, I'm going to say, it may have been the week before. I was talking to a woman who will never go on a tube train on her own. Mm. And she chose to chat to me about this. And it all relates to the fact that years and years ago, I think... It, three decades ago right at late at night she was on a tube carriage on her own and she was molested by a man hmm. and the trauma of that has formed scar tissue within her and she said it's not just that i struggle to sit 
on a tube carriage. I can't. She said, it makes me feel physically sick. Yeah. So she gets a bus everywhere or a taxi because she can't go on the tube. That event in her life has changed her worldview, her inner worldview. Mm. And she lives with the scar tissue of that all the time. That's trauma. And so when you take a huge, uh, the huge events that are happening, mm. history-changing events that are happening in Palestine now, in the Middle East now, mm. you realise at one and the same time they are the result of deep traumas. And they are bringing about a new round of trauma. Yeah, a new generation A of new trauma. generation. I've got a friend who's, I'm talking too much uh, here, but I've got a friend who is, who is a, a Jew, but he was visiting Gaza 20 or so years mm. back and he went into a little school right near the border. Yeah. And this was a primary school. And he says that uh, you could hear the bullets flying and at one point all the kids in the playground ducked for cover in a corner up against the walls. And then he said to me just the other day, I wonder how many of those scared little mm. boys, defenceless little boys, are actually a mass terrorist now. Mm. So, I mean, that's a huge statement, Steve, isn't it? But it's that violence begets violence, right? Yeah. Hatred begets hatred. Violence always begets violence. Violence is a dead end, isn't it? Yeah. It yeah. seems like the easy way out. But, you know, <laughs> Nietzsche said this, didn't he? Be careful in fighting the monster that you don't become the monster, monster. yourself. And none of that is to, is to be critical of anyone because... We're all communicating what's inside us. So if you're a Jewish person, your history is baked into who you are. If you're a Palestinian person, your history is baked into who you are. And somehow it's about how we surface the trauma. Yeah. Until we deal with our trauma, it controls us. And you, you and I were talking earlier about that, weren't we, today when I broke into your emailing day <laughs> to talk about the role of having a like a holy imagination around how you how you surface mm. trauma but also how you bring peace mm. yes absolutely a, a holy imagination T trauma that you isn't dealt with deals with you yeah uh, so you, it, it's about coming to terms with that and that requires new ways of leadership yeah. for people. It requires new ways of thinking. It requires an honesty that's so hard to surface. Yeah. The anger and the fear and the suspicion to speak it out, to let it out, to sit in a room yeah. and have those honest conversations. You have to to be heard. You can't just march on into the future and bury your pain. No, you've got to you, say it. You've yeah. got to say it. It's got to be out there. So your suspicions, your fears, your prejudices, your hurt, your pain has got to come out in order for you to move on. And of course, that's true of us all at every and any yeah. level, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. That applies to everything. Everything we ever do. Everything that ever happened to us matters. 
Everything matters and everything needs to be talked about in order to move on. Those two great, that great therapeutic principle, it's not what's wrong here, it's what's happened here. Yeah, yeah. So our friend, my friend Rob Bell, um, he just posted a, well, he sent me a picture of a painting he's just done, which he put on his social media the other day, where it just says... You bomb us, we bomb you. You bomb us, we bomb you. You bomb us, we bomb you. You bomb us. And just goes on and on like that. And it was just really powerful to see that. And I, I just wondered, Steve, if you could have if you could have a a phone call with some of the world leaders right now, what holy imagination would you bring to that space? Well, well what have I got to bring to any of these things? But I do think, however hard it is to acknowledge it, everything arises out of something prior. And the Hamas brutality and violence and murder, however unthinkable and horrendous it was, and it was unthinkable and horrendous, Mm. the pain it's caused is just... Can you imagine what it's done the scars it's brought, the the grief it's brought that will be never-ending. But however unimaginable and horrific it is, it didn't arise out of a vacuum. Mm. It comes from other pain that's felt, from voices that have felt that they've not been heard and they've been put down and they've been shot at and their families have been taken. So I think what I'd bring to the conversation is... Look, we can practice he who's got the biggest guns wins for another round, another two rounds. But all we are doing is building trauma for our children and our children's children and our children's children's children for for new generations. Yeah, we're just prolonging this. We're creating new generations of terrorists. We're creating a new generation of terrorism. We... Because we cannot sit at a table and acknowledge that truth is on both sides of the table and pain is on both sides of the table. Because of that, we are going to insist on creating hell for the next generation and the generation beyond. So there has to be some stopping of it. And 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 I hope that, well, you, you know, do you know... We have to deal with this in our own families, don't we? Yeah. You know, you yeah. you you gotta you gotta go to your brother, your sister, your cousin. You gotta sit down and say, "I I feel this, but I know you see it differently," yeah. and let's find a way of being together. So that thing you you've often said, Steve, in Oasis, is truth. Truth always flies on two wings, yeah. isn't it? You always remind people and. And it's, I always say to people, you know, always look, there's 360 d- different angles mm. to look at anything. Mm. So take some, just breathe and take mm. some time to t- do the looking and the yeah. listening that, yeah. that's required. You know, there's this, um, this great uh, story um, that I've read many times um, uh, from a, a Catholic monk who uh, first, to my knowledge, told this story, but it's told time and time again and there's a great book out not so long ago it's called uh, the myth of normal by gabor mate 
and he oh. tells a version of this little story in there. But uh, it's such a brilliant story. And it's about um, two young fish swimming along in the water and this old fish swims by and the old fish says, so what do you think of the water boys? And they swim on and they say, what's he on about? Water? What's he mean? Water? We've never seen water. And the point of the story is you're surrounded by water. It's so close. It's everywhere. It's the culture. It's what you swim in. It's what you breathe. It's the environment that you live in. And because it's so close and so massive, you can't see it. You're not aware of it at all. So we're not aware of our prejudices. We believe our story. We can't even see the other guy's story because our truth has become so true Every other truth is obliterated. Yeah. But the only way to move on is to do it differently. I, you know, you were talking about violence. Here's this quote from Martin Luther King. He said, the ultimate weakness of all violence is that it's a descending spiral, begetting the very thing it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it, mm. which is why... We've got to face up to our demons and got to do that inner work, whether it's me in my friendships yeah. or if, or whether it's us as a group of nations of the world. Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah, it's the, it's the same, isn't it? Macro, micro, the way those two things work. Um, I, was, I was just thinking there was this moment recently, I think it was, it was last week from when we are recording this, uh, where there was the picture of the um, Israeli elderly lady who had been freed. Uh, she had been a hostage and she took the hand of her captor mm. and said the words shalom mm. and thank you mm. to him. And he held her hand. And there was this this moment of, I think, j just looking at like a, a response in the media and social media, of people almost seeing that different way in mm. that in that small moment there was this oh, mm. oh there is a there is a way of mm. us being human in mm. this of being humans together can i ask uh, you a question yeah. then jill yes you can uh, is this do you think it would be different if, if the world was run by, by women, women. <laughs> i thought there's a massive part of me that wants to say yes <laughs> i such a great question. I think potentially it would feel very different. I think women and children are the victims often of this kind of trauma in a... I think that, yeah, that I, I just... Some of the, particularly at the moment, some of the stuff I've seen, I just think that women perhaps are able to come together around that sense of a maternal care and it it isn't to fight it is to protect mm. and it, i think that 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 there's something there's just something that i think could be possible if mm. there were more female voices mm. even being invited into what's happening at the moment because it i don't know if you've noticed but there's just one that occasionally appears, which mm. is the EU. Um, 
and I just think it's really interesting that it's all it's all male voices because there is so much to use that expression willy waving isn't there yeah. and and like I know I you know I, I'm just like the rest of us I've got my ego and I want my position to be seen etc but but you somehow comes to the place where you go, if I insist on all these things, all I'm creating is yeah. havoc, yeah. war, aggression, yeah. violence. The, the outcome I want is slipping away from me because of the route I'm taking yeah. to get it. And I think that's on all sides, yeah, and isn't I, it? I, I just think, that, you know, Steve, sometimes the outpouring that we see, for example, when a young person is killed or the role that the mothers play, the role that the sisters play, the aunts play, mm. the cousins play, the fe females in those family units all come together and call for peace and call for this shouldn't be the way it is. And, I, yeah, so I just... One, I think that's just an mm. interesting thing for mm. reflection. But what would it look like right now if if there were more voices mm. being heard? And, it again, it's, it's partly... Because because I'm sure people have been conditioned to mm. think that this is what leadership looks like. It looks like mm. this. And then we assign maleness mm. to that look of mm. leadership. Um, but, but I think there is another way. Mm. And I think there's a way of um, reaching across divides. And mm. I think there's, I think of Northern Ireland, how mm. significant the, the women were. Mm. Or, or at a completely different level, you know, this dates our conversation but this is the time that we're having this conversation in just a few days ago the announcement of matthew perry's death yeah you know that extraordinary um actor comedian friends mm. you know and that's it and but that came didn't it after he talked about he'd written about his own struggle mm. he'd felt abandoned it was widely written about, wasn't yeah. it? And he talked about it constantly, abandoned by both his parents. They'd split up and he felt that neither of them, for different reasons, had time yeah. for him. His mother never had emotional time for him. He felt that in her big career, his yeah. job was to support her, but she was rarely there. And he said he saw his father on TV. TV more than he, adverts, yeah. Yeah, and... And and then this telling line in, in what he said and what's been widely reported from his book that when he landed fame and moved to Los Angeles, he thought that that the fame would deal with mm. his pain mm. and wipe it away. But of course, the fame he doesn't say this, but we know didn't, the fame is the drug. The fame it can be heroin. <laughs> you know, it can be sex. It can be power. It yeah, can be... it can be. But the but the substance or yeah. the habit is always the drug that you're hoping mm. is going to make up for the emptiness, mm. and it never does. No. You know, to to quote uh, Gabor Mate once again, he 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 says that the trouble with all drugs of any sort, you know, be it be it sugar or wine mm. or beer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, or abuse, whatever it is, you can never get enough mm. of what doesn't quite work, mm. 
In other words, it makes you feel good for that moment. Yeah. You feel good because I've got a moment of fame. You feel good because I've, you know, I've drunk this wine and it brings me pleasure or calms me or helps me in this moment. You can, you can feverishly serve people mm. to give you that, mm. can't you? Yeah. And I think if, you, if, if your addiction, your way of managing your trauma is to use your power, is to use power that you mm. get, then it explains why so much mm. of this stuff happens. But we have to find a way, don't we? We have to find a way of healing these things. We have to. Uh, you know, that bit used a lot, you know, what uh, Micah oh, says yes, out of the Hebrew scriptures, Micah, prophet Micah, who says, do justice, love mercy and walk humbly with your God. And there's such, uh, that is so rich with truth, right? So, so feels like the path of peace, doesn't it, to do that. For you, so we've been talking at a very, like at a macro level, we've been talking about things that are about the, the world stage, but we have kept referencing, this, is, this, this starts with us. Hmm. So we're, we're navigating that the whole time, aren't we? What does it look like on an individual level right now, Steve, for us to act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with God? I think, um, first of all, the reason, the way you ask the question is good. You know, that quote does say, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly, do it. Don't mm. talk about it. Or you can talk about it, but it's the doing so, yeah. of justice. That's the important thing. And the doing of justice means that there's always another side. There's always another point of view. Mm. And it's about listening. Jesus said, um, love your enemy. Yeah. Love your enemy. And, uh, you know, I always think when I hear that, well, I heard it as a boy. And I used to think, yeah, love your enemy because it are really piss them off <laughs> you know can they be really upset oh he loves me i hate it you know kind of thing uh, but um jesus didn't say love your enemy because it will really upset them and you and you'll win didn't say that at all yeah. jesus said love your enemy because in this way you become like your heavenly father mm. he was saying when you love your enemy what you see as difficult, as wrong, when you grapple with that, you're forced to confront the stuff inside you that you've always wanted to so avoid. So we're changed. Yeah. You're forced to confront your own prejudice, your, your, your own assumptions about life and about other people, and being forced to confront all of that, those dark corners in your own soul. Mm and deal with them, deal with your own trauma, your own story, you become more like your heavenly father. Mm. You get yourself sorted out and you get yourself straight. It's a way of surfacing all that stuff that you've buried so deep and don't like to look at. You've got to deal with it. Now, I've been, um, I've been married for donkey's years, you know, 40-something <laughs> years, and, and uh, Cornelia and I... Um, 
the, the funny thing is, you know, I, I, I do a lot of weddings now, as you know. <laughs> I marry people and uh, they stand in front of you and they say, I take you for better or worse for, you know, sickness and then health, you know, rich, richer or poorer, etc., etc., to love and to cherish till death parts us, you know. And as they say it, I always think, I mean, I talked with them before and I've tried to explain I think I know what you're going to say. Yeah. But as they come out with these words, I stand there and think, you have no, no idea. idea. <laughs> Not the foggiest idea what you're signing up for. I do tell them before. Yeah. But, you know, when they're in that infatuated, in love, Don't kind of it. smiling at each other, you know, they could sit there all night just looking into one another's eyes. There's no telling anybody yeah. anything. They say they understand it, but they don't understand it. But actually what I – so what I've learned over the years, you know, we started out in life in our marriage with me knowing that I knew everything and, <laughs> you know, I knew how to live. You know, I knew what was right, what was wrong, how to yeah. do it. And I was sure that Cornelia didn't, you know. <laughs> and I spent about 10 years – I made that bit up, but it was probably longer. Yeah. Actually, if I'm honest about it, though I wouldn't have said it at the time, trying to reshape her into being me. Yeah. And the problem was she was trying to reshape me into being her yeah. to give me a more of a love for colour and design and yeah. art and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I was trying to get her to be more logical <laughs> and come up with some strategies for how we move forward. And Poor Corey. I know. Well, what about poor me? <laughs> like, uh, anyway, slowly I realised that I had to really hear her and see her and stop trying to change her. And we've often talked about it. It was a wonderful thing how slowly it kind of, I don't know, it dawned on us both at the same time to let yeah. each other be. Yeah. And, and then beyond that, for me to come to understand why some of the things that don't matter to me very much matter to Cornelia a lot. Yeah. She was a refugee. Um, she came from Eastern Europe. Yeah. She was carried here by her mum when she was just one year old. She lived in a huge refugee house mm. with many other families. So to have her own space really matters, matters to me, whereas my greatest ambition in life <laughs> is to live in a commune. <laughs> and everyone is. <laughs> yeah, everyone come round every night. And, you know, except, well, that was the first bit of Oasis yeah, I set yeah, up, this big obviously. house for us all to live in, including me and Cornelia. <laughs> it was a bit of a blow to me that she never wanted to live in this wonderful thing. Um, so it's about journeying with each yeah. other and recognising one another's inner stories rather than trying to reinvent everyone in our own image. But when we hear one another and listen to one another, yeah. we are both changed by one another and our journey forward together becomes a blessing instead of a... Uh, so, so, what about, so what about the bit about loving mercy? What, what does it mean to love mercy? What does it mean to love mercy? It means... Perhaps this, as I understand it, it means to love seeing the other side, mm. to love listening, to learn to rejoice in that person instead of to come at them all guns blazing, mm. metaphorically or physically. Yeah. I know the way to go and I've got to bend you to be like that. 
to love compassion, to love generosity. And even when the person has wronged you, perhaps this is the point at which the mercy bit rather than compassion and the love and the yeah. generosity bit, it comes to real prominence. Even when I've been wrong, because, you know, I get into trouble for saying this, Cornelia's wronged me. We've been married for 44 years. She's wronged me. I've wronged her 10,000 times more. Yeah. We've wronged each other. But the mercy bit and the compassion bit is when I know that happened. And but I still moved past. you love. Yeah. You know, years ago, years and years ago, I used to work for GMTV television. When I remember. Existed. Yeah. And I was called the TV vicar. And I used to go on and give advice to people. My students who... used to do projects about Steve <laughs> when I was a teacher. I used to give advice to people <laughs> who were struggling with their relationships, yeah. you know, just like me, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, th this amazing thing happened. Perhaps this is what helped trigger yeah. the Cornelia and I a bit to see things differently. Anyway, I gave out some advice about... Uh, you've got to learn to communicate with each other. And you know, it was just the question that came up and I was being asked as I sat yeah. on this sofa and I talked about the need to communicate for communication. And then after the show, somebody rang me up in the offices, which didn't happen very often. And somebody came and said, there's somebody on the phone who wants to speak to you. And I went along to this phone and I picked it up and it was this elderly lady and uh, she said, oh, she said, I do like listening to you. She said, oh, you talk so much sense most of the time. <laughs> she said, but this morning it was rubbish. <laughs> she, said, you know, she said, it's nice feedback. Yeah, yeah. And, she, and I said, oh, you know, because I really yeah. try to listen, go listen. She said, yeah, she said, I've been married 54, I can't remember how many years. It was a lot of years, yeah. you know. I've been married 54 years or whatever it was. And she said, let me tell you this. Over those 54 years, I've built up a bank bigger than you can possibly believe of all the things my husband has failed in, the times he's let me down, and he has an equally big stack of stories against me. The success of a marriage isn't the ability to communicate your list of complaints. Success in any relationship is built on the ability to forgive. Yeah. and understand and move on. Yeah. Perhaps that's what mercy is about.